You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, If I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love is not pompous. It is not inflated, it is not rude, it does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered, it does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If there are prophecies, they will be brought to nothing. If tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be brought to nothing. For we know partially, and we prophesy partially. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I used to talk as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. At present, we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. At present, I know partially, then I shall know fully, as I am fully known. So faith, hope, love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Paul, pray for us. St. John of the Cross, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Donald Wallenfang, and what a privilege to turn our attention to the most important theological topic there is, namely, love. Even if it might seem that the word love is so overused that it is virtually empty of meaning, 
We must recuperate the truth about love by rediscovering its divine identity and authorship. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In his Sayings of Light and Love, St. John of the Cross claims that at the evening of life, we will be judged on love alone. This is to say that when we die, we will be judged by God based on the testament of love or its lack that is our very lives. So to help us better understand the meaning of love, this episode calls upon the excellent book of present-day Catholic French philosopher Jean-Luc Marion. And the book is entitled The Erotic Phenomenon. I will be reading and commenting on only a short passage from the beginning of the book, but I believe that this text will recalibrate our hearts to seek authentic love above all else the undying love that flows from the sacred heart of Jesus. So let us dive in. The first thing it's important to note is Professor Jean-Luc Marion, who taught at University of Paris, Sorbonne, and also the University of Chicago. And I got a chance to study with him there back in the year 2009 when I was finishing my doctoral degree in theology from Loyola University, Chicago, but I took class with Jean-Luc Marion, and he also was generous enough to be a part of my dissertation committee, my dissertation which dealt with his work too. But this book we're looking at of his today, The Erotic Phenomenon, was published in French in 2003, then in English translation in 2007. And the first thing we need to know about Professor Marion is that he is a Descartes scholar, a scholar of the philosophy of a famous French philosopher of the 17th century, René Descartes. René Descartes, if you know anything about him, you probably remember his famous philosophical claim in Latin, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. And what René Descartes was after in his passionate pursuit of philosophical truth was what's called epistemological certainty. This means the certainty of knowledge, knowing something with absolute certainty. And he realized that most of the things we claim we know, we do not know them with any degree of absolute certainty. But he reasoned that the one thing that we cannot doubt, even if we can doubt everything else in our acts of knowing, the one thing we cannot doubt is the fact that I think. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. Because even in the very act of doubting that I think, it's an act of thought. So we cannot peel away, we cannot escape the very fact of thinking itself. So, for Descartes, that formed the basis of epistemological certainty, the certainty of knowledge, from which he then could confidently try to pursue these various degrees of uncertain knowledge. So, Marion has all of this in mind when he writes his book, The Erotic Phenomenon. And what we could say Marion ultimately argues in this book, without giving you a total spoiler in this podcast. If you do go to read the book, I'll put a link to the book in the description. But what Marion ultimately argues, 
which is already evidenced in the title. In contrast to Descartes saying, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, Marion basically says, amo ergo sum, I love, therefore I am. Such a beautiful twist of this Cartesian adage toward the certainty of knowledge. So we're going to see here how Marion begins this argument very early in the book in the very first chapter as he pursues the quest for the erotic phenomenon, the phenomenon of love. He privileges the word uh, erotic in relation to the Greek eros, which is a, a famous term going back to the Greek philosopher Plato. Eros, not as lust, but as the yearning or longing for what is beautiful, good, and true in the unity of these three transcendentals, as they're called. So all of us human beings have this yearning in our souls, beginning with involuntary drives for what we would call good, what we would call life and survival. But ultimately, our intellect is seeking the unity of beauty, goodness, and truth. And this unity we find in authentic love. Philosophy, this philia of Sophia, this love of wisdom, often seeks intellectual clarity, as it should. But also going back to Descartes, this epistemological certainty. But philosophers are often disappointed when either they don't find this certainty, or if they do think they find it, it disappoints them. It lets them down. It doesn't really keep its promises of ecstasy or beatitude or answering the very deep question that proceeds from the human soul concerning loving and being loved. So let me read a short passage from Marion's book and comments in passing. Marion writes, Vanity thus disqualifies every certainty, whether it bears upon the world or upon myself. So he's making a similar argument that the author Koheleth makes in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, a very short book, where Koheleth is considering all the pleasures and strivings and human activities and occupations and keeps coming back to the same refrain, vanity, vanity, all is vanity and a chasing after wind. Like nothing truly satisfies in the human experience when it comes to all of these created goods, all of these various pleasures or honors, wealth, prestige, alleged securities, and so on. And so for philosophy too, vanity, the experience of vanity, disqualifies every alleged certainty, certainty for knowledge. So if I have such great certainty, whether it be in mathematics or natural science, or technology, or whatever it is, does that really deal with my heart of hearts that's asking about love? Probably not. Marion goes on to write, Must we then for all of that give up on assuring ourselves or reassuring ourselves against every assault from vanity? The powerlessness to respond to the question, What's the use? Or we could say, so what? 
so I know this or that, so I make this much money or that much money. So what? What does it really profit me in the end? This powerlessness to respond to the question, what's the use? That is, I can't give an adequate answer. Or even the powerlessness to endure the question illustrates the supremely ruthless vanity of vanity, does it not? Nothing resists vanity since it can still skirt and annul all evidence, all certainty, and all resistance to the question, what's the use? It chases us down this vanity. It convicts us. It convicts us when we look in the mirror, when we examine our conscience, and we can't give a sufficient answer to the question, so what? So what? Marion goes on, at least in order truly to assure the ego of itself, it is necessary to renounce the paradigm of certainty, which comes from the world and bears upon it, and to abandon to the absurd ambition to guarantee myself, to myself, the poor certitude of a conditional existence, at the same rank as an object or a being of the world. Okay. This is great philosophical language, but I'm here to help translate English to English, actually a translation of the French into a, another transposition into English. But what Marion is getting at is for all of our obsession with objects, things money can buy and sell, we have to admit that the human being is not an object. And we cannot interpret our existence in a utilitarian fashion, only in terms of utility, in terms of use, as if we were objects. When we do this, we degrade our humanity. We deface it. We distort it. Marion goes on. In my case, in my case alone, assurance demands much more than an existence that is certain, or indeed than a certainty in general. So Marion is juxtaposing, he's contrasting the concept of assurance and that concept of certainty. He's saying assurance is something else. He's, he's arguing what I really want in the depths of my being is not certainty, but assurance. Assurance having to do not with the certainty of my existence, or even the existence of God, asking these questions about does something exist or not. No, but the assurance of the goodness of life. And moreover, the assurance that I just might be loved. So this assurance asks that I might consider myself in this existence as freed from vanity, released from the suspicion of inanity, indemnified against the question, what's the use? In order to confront this demand, it is no longer a question of obtaining a certainty of being, but instead the response to another question. Does anybody love me? Oh, this is what I love about the work of Jean-Luc Marion. Uh, he, he, really, he really helps to revise the philosophical approach that's so common in philosophy, we ask questions of certainty, we ask questions about being, about existence, about a lot of metaphysical categories of cause and effect, for example. But he says, 
is not the premier philosophical question, does anybody love me? A philosophy of love. And through this method of phenomenology, a philosophy of the erotic phenomenon, the phenomenon of love. So let's go on to see what else he says here, just for a little while longer. He says, Certainty befits objects, and more generally, beings of the world, because being for them is equivalent to subsisting an actual presence, and actuality can be certified. So in metaphysics, yes. But this manner of being does not suit me, a person, a lover and a beloved. It does not suit me. It does not perfectly satisfy me in every way. First of all, it does not suit me because I am not according to the measure of my actuality, but rather of my possibility. So this is a phenomenological turn, we could say in philosophy, filling out what goes lacking in metaphysics. So it's important. He says, if I had to remain in the actual state in which I am for a long time, I would, of course, be what I am, but it would be right to consider me as dead. In order to be the one that I am, it is instead necessary for me to open a possibility to become other than I am, to postpone myself into the future, not to persist in my present state of being alone, but to alter myself into another state of being. In short, in order to be the one that I am and not an object or a being of the world, I must be as possibility and thus as the possibility of being otherwise. Now, no possibility whatsoever falls within the hold of certainty. Possibility is defined by its very irreducibility to certainty. Thus, by my mode of being, according to possibility, I do not come under certainty, or I could say the judgment of certainty. So what he's getting at here is being a human being involves living into our possibilities, and above all, the possibilities of authentic love, genuine love, which renounces all sin. He doesn't say that on, on these couple pages I'm reading here, but this is all implied here if we work out this philosophy. The renunciation of sin, because sin is a cancellation of possibility, actually. Sin involves something evil, which has no being in itself, Sin is the movement towards something that's not real, to quote the 5th, 6th century theologian Dionysius. But instead, the quest for assurance involves the possibility of the self becoming otherwise than it already is. This is what we mean by hope, by hoping against hope. That I am not just a being as is. I am a creature in a state of becoming, which means a constant movement that actualizes new possibilities. The more that I choose what is good, the more that I choose to love. Just one more paragraph. He says, but certifiable actuality does not suit me for another, more radical reason, namely because I do not reduce myself to a mode of being, even that of possibility. So I can't reduce my personhood to a mode of being. That metaphysical concept of being, which is very good, it has its place in philosophy, but again, Marion's project here is to fill out the deficiencies of metaphysics through the method of phenomenology. In effect, he says, it is not enough for me to be in order to remain the one that I am. 
it is also first and foremost necessary for me that someone love me. And this is what he calls the erotic possibility. That someone love me in the fullest sense of the term. Not satisfying some instant gratification for pleasure or something like this. But a love that is constant. A love that loves me for all of who I am. The totality of my personhood. A love that refuses to reduce me to an object of use. And a love through which I refuse to reduce another person to an object of use. He says a counterproof verifies this erotic possibility. Let us suppose that we were to propose to someone, anyone, to be with certainty, that is, actuality, for an open-ended amount of time, with, as sole condition, the definitive renunciation of the possibility, not even the actuality, of someone ever loving that person. Who would accept? Okay, <laughs> so that's a lot of words just to say, who would go along with the philosophical proposal that it doesn't matter if anyone loves you or not. It doesn't matter. This possibility doesn't even matter. Who would accept this philosophical proposal? He says, no I, no ego, in fact, no man. Above all, not the greatest cynic in the world who thinks only of someone loving him. He said, no one would go along with this. Because we all confess, I want myself to do something with love. I want to have to do something with love. He says, for to give up on even the possibility that someone loves me would be like operating a transcendental castration upon myself and would bring me down to the rank of an artificial intelligence, a mechanical calculator, or a demon, in short, very likely lower than an animal, who can still mimic love, at least to our eyes. An animal could do this, perhaps, when we especially personify animals. But he'd say, if I give up on love, I'm no better than an artificial intelligence, a mechanical calculator, a demon who gave up on love long ago. He says, and in fact, those of my likeness who have given up in part and only in a certain respect, it is true, on the possibility that someone loves them have in proportion lost their humanity. So he's saying other human beings, if I witness this in them, that they gave up on love or even certain respect, they gave up on the possibility of love, their humanity is draining out of them. Not their dignity, but the ultimate reason for their being. It's getting lost on them. Finally, he says to give up on asking oneself the question, does anybody out there love me? Or above all, to give up on the possibility of a positive response implies nothing less than giving up on the human itself. So all this is to say, Jean-Luc Marion is arguing that we dare not give up on the possibility of love. Even beginning with the possibility, does anyone out there love me? It's not closed no matter what I've experienced in this world, there's a great adventure in continuing to ask that question. Does anybody out there love me? Maybe someone does. Maybe someone can. The beautiful thing Marion ends up doing in this book, he doesn't leave it here. He goes on to push toward another question, even 
in the events that I cannot be assured that anybody out there loves me, I can intend to love the other person who faces me. And that is something that I always can do again from the beginning. I can choose to love. Many great theologians have said things like, if you encounter a situation in which you find no love, put love there, and then you will discover love in that very situation. And for us followers of Christ, it is the grace of God that is love itself, divine love, that empowers us to love like God loves, to love in the face of hatred, to love one's enemies, to love oneself in spite of letting ourselves down so many times, to love every other person who faces me, because, as St. Paul says, love never fails. So may we renounce the obsession with vain certainties and instead seek the assurance that is delivered through an affirmative response to the question, does anybody out there love me? And may we live as that affirmative response to the very same question that proceeds from the face of the other, animated by the love of Christ that has no beginning, precisely because it has no end. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness 